Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Unfollowing Mum. I am so excited today to have two guests who are both psychotherapists, are both specialists in their field, and who I've followed across social media for a long time and have been a huge part of my healing journey and coming to understand narcissism, parentification. That is Helen Villas and Katie McKenna. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks Thanks for for having us. us. It's a pleasure, it really is. Oh, I'm so excited to speak to you today because when I've spoken to people before about my experiences with a toxic parent and my views on my relationship with my mother, it's very much, oh, you're not a specialist. So you can't say any of these things. You don't know what you're talking about. So to have found two people who do specialize in narcissism, parentification, and the experiences that I know I've been through, who can kind of back that up, if you like, who can say, okay, no, that it's not you. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with you. These experiences and feelings are perfectly valid. It's not sort of made up in your head, has been a huge part of healing and self-acceptance. So can you tell me? my audience who are not familiar with you exactly what it is that you do what you specialize in and how you came to have your podcast which is insight pod yeah sure uh so my name is helen i i'm a psychotherapist i qualified in 2017 just as a regular garden <laughs> therapist and then i did a master's in uh working therapeutically with adult children of narcissistic parents which meant yeah, really, really deep dive into what narcissism is, what it looks like, what you look for diagnostically, and then how that impacts their children and partners too, but largely children, and and then how you would approach that in therapy. So yeah, that's me, I guess. My name is Katie. I'm an accredited psychotherapist, maybe just over 10 years now. And I I suppose a lot of my clients would have came through GPs, mainly, mainly anxiety and also depression. And it was seeing this pattern and seeing something that actually both me and Helen talked about that we're not taught about in our regular yeah, training yeah. and seeing this pattern of emotional abuse and this pattern of childhood trauma and 
constantly regularly seeing people coming in with people pleasing with uh, what I would call the fawn response with codependence and really struggling mm-hmm. and r- thinking that they are the problem and they're coming in saying how can you fix me like I need mm-hmm. to be fixed there's something wrong with me I'm broken mm-hmm. and then it was through this that then led me down this path and doing other courses and learning about this work and then coming across Helen on TikTok and following her and uh, she messaged back and then we did a live together. And then so the, the podcast was born, if you like. Yeah, yeah. And then we started that in, well, it launched March last year. And Ooh. it's been amazing, hasn't it? It's been It is. Really and I suppose what it is, is, you know, when we see our clients, that's one client coming in. And a lot of people think that they're very alone in this and that it's only mm-hmm. them. And again, that they're the problem. And we obviously can't talk about our clients. So it's wonderful to be able to spread this and talk about this on a platform like the podcast where people are really hearing and getting that validation. And one of the biggest things I think is when they recognize the abuse through listening to somebody else. So when we have letters and it's like, oh, that's awful that this mother or this father did that to them. And they're recognizing, but actually that was done to me. So Mm -hmm. one, it's validating that actually this is abusive and this is not okay. And then it's also uh, working on their compassion because if they can generate the compassion for somebody else and say, actually, yeah, you don't have to put up with this abuse. You don't have to tolerate that behavior. They're able to generate and then incorporate this compassion. And and it's a, it's a slow process, but um, it's it's amazing, amazingly healing and validating for people. So it's a, it's a real pleasure and honor to be able to do it. I'm so grateful. Mm-hmm. It makes such a massive difference to feel validated. And I think one of the things that I hear quite a lot is that narcissism is just a push term. It's just become oh, the pop. Yeah, drives me <laughs> yeah. It's just become a popular thing, a buzzword, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and gaslighting, oh, it's a buzzword. They're all just things that that, the the millennials and the the younger generations have made up because they need somebody to blame for their own failings. And that's, I've had that said to me on a number of occasions. I've also been called a narcissist for cutting my mum off because Mm -hmm. of my experience with her. So what is, what is narcissism? Okay. Is Katie, I'll take that if that's okay with you. Belt away, yeah. Okay, uh, so narcissism is a personality disorder. First thing to know is that we are all narcissistic to a degree. There is healthy narcissism, and then there's what we talk about as narcissism as a generalised subject. What we're actually talking about there is toxic narcissism as in narcissistic personality disorder so healthy narcissism and toxic narcissism the difference is cost to others so when we're talking about healthy narcissism it's all right for me to sit here and talk to you about this subject because I know about this subject I've done loads of research I've done lots and lots of work on it I've loads of experience of it I'm not just reading a wikipedia article and then coming on and telling you about it no if I was a narcissist I would probably be doing the latter right yeah the point of it is that healthy narcissism is the drive for more wanting more feeling entitled to more looking for more looking for like a nice holiday a nicer car a bigger house whatever but toxic narcissism is wanting all those things but not wanting to work for it just feeling Mm. like I have it so there are five main traits we look for when we're talking about NPD and they are grandiosity, as in superiority, better than everybody else. Then there is entitlement, exploitation, and impaired empathy, which people get really 
wrong a lot because people will tell you there's a total lack of empathy that is not true there is empathy it's it's impaired but it's motivational so it's using your empathy against you and knowing how to make you do something by weaponizing your empathy against you and then there's an impaired self-awareness again people will say all the time it's a total lack of self-awareness again wrong it's not that there's a total lack of self-awareness there's a lack of self-reflection so they will be able to know if i do this this will mean that and i will get that but they won't look at why they need to do it and why they need to hurt someone else to do it and they won't look at you know they'll see the injustice of being cut off by their child but they won't look at why maybe that's happened and what they have done to contribute to it right yeah it's that lack of accountability isn't it and I've said this so many times when I look at my relationship with my mum and people will say and I'm sure you you will hear this all the time wait until it's your turn because I have children so automatically because I've cut off my mum my kids are going to cut me off and people don't know how to respond when I say okay if I come to a point in my life where one of my children says to me mum I'm going to step back from you or they just start to do it. I'm going to be then looking at myself and saying, right, not necessarily how do I blame myself for that, mm-hmm. but what's my part been in this? Yeah, absolutely. And how can I be, what what can I do to help to repair the relationship? Because it's a two-way street. Yes. And I, for my experience with my mum, I'd very much said to her on so many occasions, please don't do that. Please, you know, that hurts me. Please don't behave that way. Please don't speak to me like that. No, I'm not going to buy you a car because you Mm. think I should. Please don't treat me this way. And I was constantly looking at how I could be a better daughter and what I could do, but there was nothing coming back. It was just that expectation that I was the problem and I would somehow have to fix that or I would have to bend somewhere. and. It's, it's really difficult as an adult child because when you're raised in that, I think you you so often look and think, but that must be accurate. That must be, that must be true. That's, it's me mm. that's the problem. And it goes back to that people pleasing and fawn response that you mentioned, Katie. Can you tell us a bit about that? I can. I just want to talk a little bit about what you said there. And because I see it so often that the narcissistic parent will blame their child again and use a thing called motivational empathy mm-hmm. and will tell them that, oh, well, when you have your own child, you will understand. Right. So that's putting the child in the position that, again, they're wrong and they're blame. And it's weaponizing their their empathy against them that the child will then apologize oh, okay, so I don't understand. I don't understand what it's like to have a child and it must be really difficult. So there, I'm going to have compassion for you now, parent, for mm-hmm. you now, because this is really difficult for you and I'm sorry. So there we can see that they're what we call weaponizing your empathy against you, making you feel bad and making you feel guilty and eliciting a phone response from you. Another way that to do that is often by using the silent treatment. So if we talk <laughs> about... Okay, so if I needed to step away right now and I said to you, Harriet, I'm going away for two minutes and I'll be back, right? Mm. You don't have to worry about me. You might even work away on your phone or do a bit of work there until I come back. But if I was just to remove myself and turn away from you, chances are that's going to elicit the phone response from you. You're going to go, Katie, are you okay? Mm. And if I answer passive aggressively, yeah, I'm fine, right? That's going to put you in a state of questioning going, 
God, I want, did I do something? Why did she mm. do this? Right. So you're going to straight away go into that space and you're going to try and fawn and please and appease me, especially the child. Whereas when actually we recognize that this is a manipulation tactic, that this is used for coercive control, that this is used to punish you, that this is the purpose of this is actually to put you in that state, the fawn response. So when you were asking, what is the fawn response? A lot of people might know that term as a, the people pleasing or the codependency. So struggling to stand up for yourself. So often being taken advantage or exploited in your relationships, having a real fear of conflict, not being yeah. okay unless you're okay. So if you, if my partner or somebody close to me is in bad form, that then I am in bad form, that I don't know how to be separate than them, that we lose our edges and kind of merge into the wants and demands of others and don't hold any boundaries and don't really know our own wants, needs and preferences. Yeah, that's so familiar to me. Mm -hmm. And this is when the more that I've learned about these things and the more that I have researched, put time into trying to understand my experiences, the more I'm kind of, I'm flawed because even then I remembered something that my mum used to say to me all the time, whenever she'd either, if I was, it was smacked occasionally as a child, but more often it was this explosive shouting and screaming that mm -hmm. I'm absolutely cannot stand shouting now. And I've never really been able to set much of a boundary with. I've always kind of just gone into myself if mm -hmm. I've heard that shouting. And she used to say to me, this hurts me so much more than it hurts you. Oh. <laughs> and actually just... as a parent, I'm a bit like, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's irritating me my kids are they're pissing me off right now but if I'm screaming and shouting at them or I'm getting up in their face or I've hit them and that's not hurting me more than it's hurting them no it's centralizing yourself mm. you know, as soon as you do that what you're saying is my needs and my feelings are more important than yours as the child and what you're also telling the child is rescue me from my feelings and it's a huge pressure to put on a child you, it just is so irresponsible as a parent to say you're responsible for the way I feel because that gives them omnipotent power over everybody else's feelings which in turn creates the fawn response because they're they're going well I have to contain myself and watch how I impact other people because I have this superpower over how other people feel and if I'm not careful I'm going to make someone feel bad and that makes me morally reprehensible and I do that really easily because look at my mum she screams and shouts at me all the time and tells me it's my fault and that I'm hurting her and making yeah. her do it Jeez. and again making the child feel like Helen said responsible and then feeling bad because if you're having an emotion <clears throat> right now Harriet if this is difficult for you and I'm telling you but you don't understand this is really more difficult than me right so I'm telling you to ignore your own needs to suppress them and actually care for me and be responsible for me and the really um you know the the thing that the what you had said about the narcissistic parents saying when you have your own kids you'll understand and that is again to put them in the place of this fawning in this trauma response but actually the paradox of that is is that this is often the catalyst that actually when the parent when the adult child becomes the parent and has their own kids and they realize oh my god one the child was just behaving like a child i actually wasn't bad i did nothing wrong and actually i have these responses i am I have empathy and compassion towards my child. And like you said there, Harriet, that your child owes you nothing. So I will speak. I have four children. My kids owe me nothing. They didn't ask to be here. They are not responsible for me. They're not there to take care of me. They are my responsibilities for them. And it's my job to hold them in safe spaces. And it's my job to hold boundaries and not allow the, them to harm themselves or others. But 
ultimately they don't owe me anything. And this goes back to one of the traits that Helen talked about, that entitlement, that the narcissistic mm -hmm. parent is so entitled to everything you have. And what we see with our clients is that narcissistic parents come in four categories. So there's the critical parent, the ignoring, the engulfing. And then the fourth is a, a, an encompass of all of these. And what we will find is that all of these traits will be there with each parent, but they lean more heavily towards one. Mm -hmm. So the critical parent will just be that. They will constantly criticize you, put you down, undermine you, devalue at every given moment. And again, it'll be these small paper cuts that over time will just be so intensely painful. The ignoring parent will just do that. They will ignore the child. Their needs won't matter at all. And it will be centralizing them so that the child can become invisible. And the engulfing parent. So when I talk about um, parentification and emotional parentification, where the child is engulfed with the parents' emotions, where they are so entitled and they take over and live their life through the child that the child isn't allowed to express themselves or have any sort of autonomy. And again, in each of the others, we will we will see that as well. Yeah, it's so it's, mm -hmm. hearing you talk about the engulfing parent and I uh, just to sort of dial back to what you said there about your children not owing you. I did mm. a TikTok where I'd said children don't owe you anything and somebody had told me that I should be grateful to my mum because she changed my diapers nappies i saw <laughs> that oh my god no and i was I, I, you no, so, do that yourself are you like yeah. what the hell my kids did you want a high grateful. five i mean yeah. do you want a high five for staying out of jail like that's the bare minimum yeah my kids shouldn't be grateful for minimum. me changing mm -hmm. their nappy putting food on the table because they didn't ask to be here that is my job and my responsibility for bringing them into the world yes now, yes i want my kids to have manners right and it's nice to say thanks or even they're responsible for putting their plate then let's say in the dishwasher right? yeah but they do not have to be grateful for what I have to provide and what is my responsibility. It's not very, to put that on them. But there's a very big difference between saying, say thank you for your dinner Ooh. and say thank you for your dinner or you're a bad child. You're not allowed to criticize me about anything. And how dare you contradict me on anything? There's a, when people talk about children showing gratitude and the, you know that sort of thing what they're saying is ask your child to suppress everything not mm -hmm. you, they talk about respecting your parent being a accept your parents rules and stipulations and expectations of them without question they're saying you're not allowed to challenge your parent you're not allowed to question them you're not allowed to say I don't want to to them they're saying you're not allowed to say no to your parent what we're saying is of course they should do all those things and they can say thank you for your dinner, but you don't punish them and tell them they're a bad person if they forget, you know? Yeah, this is the absolutely. thing about the narcissistic parent, that it really erodes a child's identity. They never get to build on that identity. They never get their autonomy. So they never get to have a difference of opinion. You know, I remember using an example on our podcast that if the narcissistic parent likes blue shoes and the child says, well, I like red shoes, they mm -hmm. will take this as a personal attack on yeah. them. And then there will be punishment. So whether that is the verbal attack and shouting or whether this is the removing themselves emotionally and stonewalling and giving the child the silent treatment either puts the child in a state of fear and a state of emotional abandonment which is devastating for the child but it's punishment it's that if you don't align with me and agree with me and agree with what I say because I am right so if you have a difference of opinion I think that you are wrong but not only that that you are attacking me personally their ego is so fragile that they mm. take this as a personal attack so it's and all about personal rejection that's it what it comes down to is that the, the parent will see the narcissistic parent sees a reach for autonomy as a personal rejection 
you know, and the child gets punished for it. Anytime mm-hmm. they try to individuate, they are punished for it. And so they don't grow their identity and they become people pleasers because they don't want to be punished. It's, I've, I've, that resonates so closely with me. So I'm, I'm 34 now. And I remember a couple of years ago, I was working with somebody and they said to me, okay, so beyond being a mum and beyond what you do here, can you tell me a bit about Harriet? Who are you? I've never felt such a strong urge to cry. <laughs> I was, I sat there and I did cry on the way home because I just, this sort of, everybody was looking at me with big smiles. Like it was yeah. the most normal question to ask. And I just thought, I don't know. Mm. Who actually am I? Mm. And it was only once I started to have my own children, going back to what you said about having different ideas and things, mm. even down to the simplicity of when I was a child, my mum was baffled that I didn't like peas because she did. Yes. And she would yes. say to me, um, I'm not I'm not cooked you any peas because I know you don't like them. It became somewhat of a running joke because I was such a good child that would eat anything and such a mm. good child that would do as mm. I was taught. So easy. And I, she was baffled and it was almost like, oh yes because I know you don't like peas because it it was like she couldn't quite wrap her head around how and why I wouldn't like what she did and then as I got older when I especially with social media and I think this is why social media gets blamed for poisoning children when actually it's not it's just widening their parameters well it's Mm -hmm. just educating them to be honest it is and it, it it widened my circle it widened what I could see because my mum could be very homophobic could be very Mm -hmm. racist and I Mm -hmm. was almost like a parrot in my late teens and early 20s and I would think anything she said was gospel Mm -hmm. and I've since learned that that is that kind of engulfing where I didn't have my own personality I didn't Mm -hmm. have my own opinion and it is a form of emotional abuse to strip away someone's identity but I find emotional abuse is so I'm I, the amount of times I've heard well, that's not real abuse, is it? Like, oh, you know, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm chari- I can come straight in and say emotional abuse is the cornerstone of all abuse. Other abuse can't exist without emotional abuse. When people talk about grooming, what they're saying is emotional abuse. Yeah. If you went on a date with someone and on that first date they punched you in the face, you would never see them again. But if you go on date 30 with them and you've had all that time, all that drip feeding, all the gaslighting, all the, the love bombing, all the breadcrumbing, and they punch you on the, in the face, oh, well, it must have been me. I must have done something to provoke them. Oh, there must be a really good reason. They didn't do that to me on purpose. There's something that's happening. They're just really stressed and you make all the excuses. Emotional abuse is what keeps people in toxic relationships. And the sooner we take it more seriously and give it as much weight as it deserves, which is possibly more weight. I don't, you know, it's not a competition, but as soon as we give that weight to it, people will start being able to free themselves from those toxic relationships and we'll be able to start protecting people better too. It drives me nuts that people say emotional abuse is not real abuse. It's all the abuse is based on built on emotional abuse you can't have any others without it sorry that was a massive soapbox moment. no it's so valid and emotional no, but abuse it was, it's all yeah. about control right and when we look at there when your circle was so small and the narcissistic parent will do a thing called triangulation where oh, yeah. they want dominance and control and when they will triangulate and drive a wedge between any relationship that you have again to keep you isolated so it's easier to keep the child 
um, in thinking in my way of thinking and indoctrinating them into what I think if they're isolated and actually if they're not being exposed to any other ways of thinking. Whereas you're right now with social media, people have this on their phone and they're open to being educated and they're open to seeing things. And it's, you know, you can't convince people are resonating because this is their experience. And I want to go back to what you said at the beginning um, about people gaslighting you and how dare they tell you that you are not an authority to talk on your own experience, yes. right? You are allowed to talk about your own experience. And for anybody that isn't a specialist in this area, you are allowed to talk about your own experience and your own experience is valid and it is true for you. So nobody, how dare somebody tell you that your experience isn't valid and you don't get to talk about it because you don't have a degree in the thing you bloody lived it do you know what yeah, I mean exactly. that was your life that was your experience and and as long as you're leaving room for the idea that other people have same but different yeah that's all that matters that's all that matters right because mm-hmm. you know you can have a lived experience as, and share that and explain look here's an example of triangulation from my childhood not all triangulation is going to look like this but this is a really good example of it right or people annoy me. <laughs> but isn't that the it's thing as well? The trauma. Right? It is. You're you're not allowed to talk about something that you've experienced because you haven't got a degree in it. Doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. That's mm. the other thing as well when we're talking about different lived experiences that can be really strange, is that the children of the narcissist will have different experiences because they will be put in different roles from the parent. So we actually can have two children that have completely different experiences under the same parent. Yeah. Yeah. And I I spoke about this on, I think it was episode two of the podcast, about uh, a contact that I'd had from my dad's adopted daughter. And I I did not have a good relationship with my father either. Um, And I think there was a a certain level of alienation from my mum's, Mm -hmm. you know, that my Mm -hmm. mum put in there. Um, But I, he was either extremely emotionally immature or had a lot of narcissism in himself as well. The Um, same thing, Harriet. We talked about this on one of our episodes, and I Katie Katie recommends this book called Oh Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, actual difference, and it basically it's just a nicer way to say that they're a narcissist, but we don't want to say they're a narcissist, so we're going to say immature because if you think about it, narcissists are basically three year olds. Yes, emotionally, and um, you know, with adult bodies and adult relationships, so. Yeah, there's not a lot of difference. Um, one one of the things as well, let's say, raising everybody, just to be sure, just to be clear, we're not we're yeah. not saying this is an NPD. But when someone says someone's emotionally immature, I immediately just go to toxic narcissistic yeah. traits. Yeah, he was just toxic, but it, yeah. it was very much you know. I, and again, it goes back to that feeling of being inferior and not wanting to diagnose anything. I always yeah. say, if I firmly believe that my mum was a covert narcissist from what mm-hmm. research I've done, and that she was very engulfing. I was an only child, so I when you talk about the different roles that children have mm-hmm. in the triangulation, mm-hmm. I got them all, and I relate yeah. to them all. But I'm always sort of say, again, I'm not diagnosing because it is a personality disorder. I'm just saying this is my experience and this mm-hmm. is how I feel. But with my dad, I, I feel as well I didn't know him particularly well enough to know right. if 
all of that was the case, but I remember enough of him to remember him not calling me for three weeks because he was angry that I told him mum had got a boyfriend. I remember him saying he'd come to the birthday party and then not showing up. I remember all these small things from my early childhood and his, his daughter got in touch with me. I didn't even know if they knew I existed and her, she was furious that I had mentioned some of these things online because he's dead now and how dare I besperch his name when everybody else has these wonderful memories of him and he was such a great wonderful person I mean he died when she was three I think or four oh um so I was like oh so she doesn't even remember him really no and I I mean I, I stopped myself short of saying look hun you had you had three wonderful, joyful years with him after an incredibly difficult experience with physical and emotional yeah. abuse from your birth parents. I survived him for 16 years. We are not the yeah. same. Yeah. And I just I I kept my cool and was like, look, I'm I'm really sorry that my content has hurt you. But I want you to understand that my experience of this person does not invalidate yours. Perhaps he'd grown up. Perhaps yeah. he doubled down yeah. and thought, Do you know what, I, I lost that daughter because of my actions and because of the actions of her mother. I'm going to do better this time mm-hmm. because we can choose to do that. Yeah, And that that is wonderful. And I really hope that's what happened for her. But it wasn't my experience. And that's yeah. OK. And I think it's so difficult when you're in that triangulation where you've had somebody say, OK, but dad was wonderful or mum was wonderful especially when it's a sibling who was right there watching it all happening mm. and they can't validate your experience as the outsider as the one who experienced the abuse because you're just a troublemaker yeah that's the family narrative right and that is the thing that is kept to keep you safe or to keep the other siblings safe if i collude with their image of you then I will be protected. So I have to do that because not only does that mean I don't get targeted, it also means that I don't have to turn and face the truth that my parents is shitty and and abusive and like look at the grief and the loss and the pain of that and do all the work on myself. So it's it's a very complex thing. But when siblings are doing that, it's because of their own conditioning and their own fear. And it's awful. It's just awful when you are the scapegoat and the other children in your family don't see it and don't validate it, It's it can make you, it's sort of gas, well, it is gaslighting you further into believing, yeah, you are the problem when it's just not true. The scapegoat is the truth speaker, the truth seeker, and the cycle breaker. So, yeah, it's it's really difficult. And here is the cognitive dissonance, right? So they grew up with it, they saw it, but they know that if I actually agree with you and say, well, that this was your reality, even if it wasn't mine. So if I say this is your reality, I have to acknowledge that this parent, that that my mother treated you like this. Mm-hmm. And again, if I then hold her accountable, I will be put out in the cold and shunned like that. And yeah. I don't want that. So it's easier for me to side with her and to stay close to her because then that will be safe. I'll be able to keep the relationship intact if I agree with her. Because again, if I have a difference of opinion that the shoes are red and she's going to discard me and 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 push me away. Imagine now if I say, yeah, you actually shouldn't have treated Harriet that way. You shouldn't have treated the other sibling that way, right? I'm going to be holding them accountable. And 
I'm going to be severely punished for that and discarded. So it's this fear and this recognition that if I do that, that I will be punished and they want to stay close and stay warm and keep this attachment, this trauma bond, keep that attached. Whereas what we talk about is breaking the trauma bond. And when you're back to talking there about emotionally immature parents, and I read that book and one thing that I, it just did fall short on, although it mentioned NPD sometimes throughout, I think when we talk about emotionally immature parents, we're keeping the hope alive because then perhaps they will mature and then perhaps they will change. Whereas one thing when we're talking about with narcissistic personality disorder and narcissistic parents is actually killing the hope because the child and the adult child will live in hope. Well, maybe if I just explain it to them this way, maybe if they just really understand the impact this time, maybe then they will get it and maybe then they will change. Whereas it's actually killing this hope and it's very difficult and there's immense grief with it but the other side of that is also um liberation yeah because yeah, hope hope in this instance is denial and denial is avoidance of grief and then if we're not grieving we're not freeing ourselves from the original pain and it's a really difficult thing you know letting go of the hope means accepting there will be no change and they will never love you the way you needed to be loved and that that is the deficit in them and that you have no power to fix it and it's mm. it's devastating that is so much pain so much pain not just over the fact that you're never going to get it it's that you never had it in the first place either it's just awful and do you know what it doesn't go away either because even hearing you that say that then and I've been estranged from my mum coming up three years now and after the experience that we had you know I I feel like I and I, I don't know again with only children if this is what happens but I feel like I almost played the role of the sibling that's saying well no your, your childhood wasn't that bad and telling myself it, it wasn't that bad you were so lucky if you'd have asked me 10 years ago I'd have said oh no my mum's my best friend we're yeah. so close <laughs> we've got the closest relationship and I ever. as a therapist would have gone yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Red flag. But no, that what you're talking about there is self-gaslighting. Yeah. Mm. It's the it's not necessarily because you're an only child. Any child, you know, any scapegoat, any person who is sort of able to question the reality and the truth, especially where there hasn't been physical or sexual assault or abuse, when it's just an inverted commas emotional yeah. abuse, is it's a lot harder to pin it down. It's a bit like trying to pin down sand. It just disappears and it's really hard to hold on to. But the the thing is that 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 we question our perception because of that hope and because maybe maybe if i maybe if i just did this it would be different and if i just explained that she would get it but it's self gaslighting to go i'm going to minimize my experience and minimize the impact on me because everyone says i'm just making a fuss I should yeah. be grateful that she changed my diapers. Like, <laughs> mm. Let's talk about that entitlement when you're on about the engulfing parents. So one thing that they don't allow their child is any privacy. So if something happens to you and you don't share it. So if they hear that you told, you know, the neighbor or your friend something and you didn't tell me that. Why didn't you tell me that? That hurts me so much. You're being deceptive. You're being secretive. And this hurts me. This impacts me. So again, you're being told directly that you're the problem, that there's something in you that is deceptive and wrong and deceitful. And again, the child will think, 
oh, well, if I had just done that thing, if I just told her first, maybe that would keep her happy and then she'd be happy with me. So again, it is this constant blame. And when you do criticize, it's the narcissistic parent will tell you that you're so ungrateful after all I've done for you. After all I've done Mm. for you, you know, you've clothes on your back, food on the table, a roof over your head. After all I've done for you, you're so ungrateful. So then this, this messaging this external messaging becomes our internal message and becomes our internal critic where then when something happens we were we are repeating this that kept us safe in childhood right because if I don't complain it keeps me safe and then in adulthood we start questioning and saying well maybe it wasn't that bad you know like she did she did her best you know I did have food on the table and a roof over my head maybe I shouldn't be complaining and it is it's absolutely gaslighting and one of the self-gaslighting and one of the biggest things is awareness around that to be able to recognize that voice that internal critic when it is self-gaslighting. Harriet, if someone came and said to you, what are you complaining about? You had quite a nice childhood. Why why are you complaining? Oh, I... (laughs) <laughs> my, my physical reaction to that is so strong sorry Harriet please yeah continue. Harriet, it is. what would that feel like if someone came and said to you oh it wasn't that bad really invalidating right and then I'd be like yeah the bits of it that I remember which again is a big red flag yeah the bits of it that I remember were traumatic right. and then the bits of it that I tell myself to remember and that I try to force in there some of them are okay so how would it feel then so it would feel invalidating yeah it'd feel wrong dismissive would you would it make you angry that someone's saying to you stop complaining so then there you go that's how you know it's self-gaslighting if someone else said it to you and it would piss you off upset you and hurt you then you know you're self-gaslighting This is the thing I love talking about, the anger, right? Because the fawner, the people pleaser, really. So there's four trauma responses. Fight or flight is known for short, but there's four. Freeze, fight, flight, fawn. And the fawner, their no is annihilated. Their anger is annihilated. It's suppressed because it's not safe to act out. It's not safe to say, no, don't do that. So anger is purposeful, whereas a lot of fawners will think that anger is pointless and that nothing good can come of conflict. And they're scared of anger and be scared of their own anger. Whereas anger is there to direct us towards three things. What is wrong, what is unfair, and what is unjustified. And when Helen there used those words and said, um, (laughs) you had a really good childhood, the anger that engulfed my body, because I thought that that is wrong, what she said, I thought that is unfair. And I thought that that is unjustified because you don't get to have that perception over my lived experience. So that anger is purposeful to give me agency, to give me power, to say no. No, I don't have to accept that from you and protect myself in any way. So if Helen was open to have a discussion, I could say to her, no, that's not fair. You don't get to have that judgment on me. But if she Mm -hmm. is actually intent on being right, it might just be safer for me to actually not engage from that and protect myself. But your anger is purposeful. And if we suppress our anger, well, then how will we know what somebody has done is wrong? You know, if you stole 20 euro from me, and I wasn't angry. Well, then what am I saying to you? What messaging am I giving you? Yeah, You're just saying it's fine, aren't you? And it's not okay. fine. And it's not fine. So my anger will be there to protect myself, whether that's to not be in your company or take my bag with me when I'm leaving. Right? <laughs> my anger is there to give me agency to say, no, this is wrong. And what Helen's talking about healthy entitlement, I'm entitled to keep the money that I earn and for you not to take that from me. Yes. Like, this is wrong. So I'm again, entitled anger... to be paid as well, by the way. You know, yeah. sorry, just to, there's an, the entitlement thing. I, I'm sorry, Katie, I've so sidebarred you. But, <laughs> that's but okay. Just, like that gets people get really worried about that in terms of does it make me toxic and no there is healthy entitlement you're Mm -hmm. entitled to be paid you're entitled to be respected 
to you know to a certain degree not not showered in extra mm. things it's not based on nothing at all you're allowed to to say no I don't want you to take my money the You're really simple entitlement it. that I use is that no matter what country people are in, when you have so many days off, you know, a year and in Ireland, you're entitled to four weeks holidays. And I even use that word. It's in law entitled. So mm-hmm. when somebody's asking for their, let's say, two week summer holidays, they are entitled to that time off. And if they don't get it, that is unfair. That is unjustified. That is wrong. And here there's you know different agencies that they can go if the employer is mistreating them. Mm-hmm. So this is where entitlement is healthy. Whereas imagine the phone or again, if we're placing the needs of our boss or manager above ours. Oh no, well, they're really stuck. Oh no, well, I really have to do it. No, that's their responsibility to manage that. And this is my responsibility now to actually ask what I'm healthily entitled title for but again if the phoner is so familiar with suppressing their anger with suppressing their wants needs and desires and they will be put in this trauma space to actually stand up to somebody to ask for what they need so this is why this is so important and when people turn around and so oh that was your childhood or oh that was in the past no this is very much living out in people's present because they're repeating the relational pattern of their childhood so this is why it's so important and we actually heal in safe relationships and me and Helen on on our podcast we talk about like when me and her come up against conflict and how we manage that and actually what it's like to be heard and what air conditioning air internal messages it yeah. might be saying to us and how we work towards overcoming them in the present and when we trigger each other yeah we allow that space <laughs> right because it does happen we, it does happen katie triggered me the other day totally by accident I had no idea it was coming nor did I, to be fair. And um, it's <laughs> just allowing the space for it to exist. And, yeah. it's, you know, it's just not, it's not shaming. It's not blaming. It's not punishing. It's also not rescuing. It's not her mm. trying to make it feel better. It's just sitting with it until it passed. And it was fine. Because this is the other side, right? The toxic positivity, the rescuing. So imagine that somebody is feeling something. So they're walking here. And then imagine that there's this big hole of emotions. And that can be anger, sadness, grief, despair, frustration. And then the other side, this is toxic positivity where somebody is saying oh jump over here it's lovely over here well let's look forward to this and it's not that bad and you know let's be grateful so come over to this side and although the intent might actually be to reassure what they're actually doing is gaslighting this toxic positivity is a form of gaslighting and again it's to doubt the that the person will doubt their reality their perceptions and will ignore and dismiss and minimize all these emotions whereas what empathy is is that this person comes down here to them and says pretty shit isn't it like it's mm. shit down here feeling this mm. way and they don't have to have the lived experience that you have to recognize that yeah this is really That's difficult painful. what you're going through mm. this is painful sympathy sits above empathy sits with that Mm. is the very simple description that I use when I'm trying to explain the difference because sympathy is about pity and it's a thank god that's not me Mm. and empathy is a I'm so sorry you're going through that an example of that this morning, I have two kids at home sick and one of my, the eldest was still going to school and he was really pissed off, really pissed off. That he was <laughs> really frustrated, really sad that he wasn't sick because the other two were getting to stay at home yeah. and really frustrated. And so toxic positivity is, well, you should be grateful that you're not sick. You should be yeah. grateful that you have your health and just stop complaining. You don't know how good you have it. Whereas I got it. I was saying, absolutely. No, I get that that shit. And I actually use those words. I'm like, I get that that shit. You have to go to school and when they're at home, of course you think they're going to have great crack at home watching telly. That's, it's really hard that you're going to school. 
And then he yeah. was like, yeah, I hope I get sick tomorrow. <laughs> That's again, brilliant. Yeah. And he can hold that. So I wasn't gaslighting him, giving him this toxic positivity. Mm. I was seeing through things through his perspective and how in that moment, that was really hard for him that he was going to school. And again, when he comes home, he's going to be really annoyed that he has homework and they don't. Yeah. And that's valid. Yeah. And that's valid because let's be honest, we're all a bit pissed off when we get homework. Let's yes. Yeah. And if yeah. other people don't have it, how bloody frustrating. Although, do you know, some of my clients are desperate for it. Can I have homework, are please? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay. Uh, okay, well, give yourself. Uh, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Great. So again, that's just letting the child have their own emotions, their own feelings, their own experience, and not turning on me going, you don't know how hard I have it and I have to change my whole day now for them or or whatever that is. It's not centralizing me or saying like that line that you had said earlier, Harriet, that when you have your own kids, you'll understand. I mean, that is that is just so wrong. Again, the anger that I feel and me and Helen talk about, we read a listener's letter each week. And when we are so angry on what was done to them on behalf of them. And we make it very clear because even with people listening to our anger, one, we say, I just want you to know that we're okay. You know, that we're just Mm. feeling this emotion and we're not angry at you. We're Mm -hmm. angry at what was done to you. And here when you have are criticizing and saying actually no. So when you are trying to get into your healthy fight response, because these four are healthy, by the way, we're supposed to enter into them and be able to release them, them after the threat has gone. The problem with the narcissistic parent is that you are living with that threat daily. So then you are in this survival response daily. It We become trapped in that. And that is why people think, well, this is, this is just me. This is just who I am. And through my content, I hear a lot of people saying, you know me so well. How do you know me so well? And mm-hmm. I actually say, I don't. I know your conditioned trauma response. I know that you're in survival mode and I know your fight or flight. And that is predictable. But actually, Mm -hmm. I don't know who you are. Harriet, what you were saying when somebody said, who are you? I don't know what you like or dislike. I don't know what your favorite color is, what your favorite food is. I don't know whether you'd rather go to the movies or watch it at home. I don't know whether you like live music or if you'd, you know, rather again to sit at home listening to that or go to a quiet band I don't know what your interests are these are the things that make you you but I do know these conditioned patterns of behavior when a child is raised by the narcissist and the narcissist playbook is written like a script and then these trauma responses are as well and every behavior that you will have had worked to protect you in childhood that fawning kept you safe in childhood you did these things to stay safe so then that your mother would have an attachment to you and that you would have felt safe in that moment if you had to get into that fight response and stand up you would have been discarded stonewalled abused even further so these behaviors are there to protect you but it's when we think that this is just who we are when we don't acknowledge that trauma and we live in this state it's actually then detrimental to us in adulthood yeah the the thing about those survival states is you see people say all the time what my whole personality is a trauma response and it's like well yeah because you had to do that to get kind of get through the trauma so yeah you you fixate on what you have to do to survive and how you relate to people to survive but there is a person underneath there. They just weren't allowed to grow. So it's just oh. about picking that off and being able to know who you should have been all along without that narcissistic parent. And developmentally, Helen, when you were saying they're stuck, developmentally they are. 
and then in safe relationships and even in safe relationships with a therapist and there's this cocooning phase that a lot of people don't talk about actually when they do discard a parent or these toxic people in their lives and it's safer to actually close off and go inward right it can be actually exhausting when we come out of this survival response because we've had this adrenaline pump us we've been running on empty for so long and then when it goes when the threat is gone they're so everyone sleeps everyone sleeps when they start doing therapy and they feel safer and I know loads of people who are still in really difficult situations staying with somebody who's like who's living with somebody maybe who's toxic and hurtful they their sleep is really disrupted and disturbed Mm. and then when they leave that situation or even even if that's just going away for a few nights somewhere they find they sleep and sleep and sleep and they're exhausted and they're but I came back just still really tired and I just I don't know what's wrong with me all I want to do is sleep and it's like yeah because your nervous system isn't being flooded by cortisol and adrenaline and you're able to relax for the first time in possibly your entire life and the weight of the responsibility that is on the child of the narcissist and especially like on the parentified child the weight of responsibility that they are carrying on their young shoulders it is so much stress and then actually that when we get into adulthood and realize that was never mine to carry. Again, there is this huge amount of grief and recognizing how difficult it was and what that child went through, recognizing that. And then there is this weight realizing actually it's their responsibility. Their mental health is their responsibility. This is so strange for somebody to hear when they come to therapy because they've been conditioned that actually, no, you make your mother happy. Your behavior makes your mother sad. So mm. what are you going to do to make her happy? She's devastated now that you're stopping speaking to her, you know? And then I go, well, has the parent actually took any accountability have they actually came to you or are these using these flying monkeys come to give you these messages have they turned around and taken any accountability and the answer will be no but often Mm. what we may hear is where they say I'm sorry if I hurt you. I'm sorry if I did anything wrong, but I really don't know what that is. And it's like, really? So the amount of my clients that have expressed very clearly, very articulately how it is that they hurt and are very clearly saying, don't do that thing again. And it's just ignored and it's just denied. And here the narcissistic parent rewrites history. That never happened. That thing didn't happen. You never told me that. I don't have a clue. And again, it's to garner sympathy and to use weaponize other people's empathy against them. And it's also then used to triangulate because if I don't know what I did, like, oh my God, well then she must be the problem. She hasn't told me. Whereas if anybody used their critical brain and thought, well, if you don't know what your adult child did, why don't you go and ask them <laughs> again, yeah, the responsibility yeah. being put on you instead, when people aren't used to using their critical brain, when they are too have grown up in environments like this, when they aren't questioning either their own behavior or their past behavior, right? So the relationships that they have had, they will just blindly accept this and continue. And it is extremely mm. damaging because it's continuing the message and continually gaslighting somebody. And again, making now the adult child, still responsible for their parent and to care for their parent and it's just wrong do you know what I think we could talk about this all day and I feel like we are <laughs> so, and I want to know if Harriet wants to ask us anything else because I feel like me and you are kind of going oh no honestly it's so fascinating to hear you talking about it though because I I relate to so much of it even what you said about that fear of anger I said to I did a podcast recording yesterday and, and uh, it was another person who'd had a very emotionally abusive upbringing and she she'd mentioned all of the things that you're mentioning here the same as me well mm. you had this wonderful upbringing you know you were really privileged as a child you mm. I did everything for you my mum used to say to me all the money I wasted on your education oh and I'm like 
but mum that wasn't that wasn't for me that was so you could keep up with the joneses and then you couldn't and i ended up being dragged out of the school that i loved to go to a school that you'd told me would be the end of the world so i was terrified of it and had a horrible experience that that was on you as a mother i know that as a daughter it was my fault Mm -hmm. and it's such a it's like living two realities and with you saying about being afraid of your anger i relate to that so much Mm -hmm. so deeply because i I I remember thinking and it wasn't that long ago my husband had had really pissed me off and it was like (laughs) if I if I don't just walk away from it and if I actually blow up and it was especially after the estrangement when I'd started to look at myself felt like I had to keep an even tighter rein on things Mm -hmm. because if I actually Mm. let go of it I felt like I'd never stop screaming yeah Um, yeah and that that says to me that there's been something locked up inside of me for so long that should have been let out. And that fear of challenging them. My mum actually, we built her an annex on our property and she lived with us. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. I was holding that in, Helen. Yeah. I wasn't going to say oh, that. No. <laughs> I mean, okay, look. Maria, the right. compassion I feel for you oh. right now is just huge. The empathy, you know, because like you're saying, the conditioning. The and, and again, I mean, so. Now, hang on, because the entitlement of her to even expect it, right? Well, actually, like... she felt very much that we'd taken, we'd taken her for a ride because when we bought the property off her, we paid off her mortgage, which I'd been paying for about three, four years anyway. She couldn't mm. pay it herself and she felt very much that we had scammed her because she discounted the price of the house so that we could use the extra money to build the annex so when we actually asked her to leave she added interest when we because when I asked her to leave our annex which was a terrifying conversation I had said to her you know we're going to make sure that you would be in exactly the same position you were in if you'd sold the house to a stranger you Mm -hmm. won't be a penny out we're going to set you up for life you know you, you will be everything that you should be Mm -hmm. And I still, even now, maintain that that's something I should have done, because if she'd have just sold the house to a stranger, she wouldn't have been in the position she actually ended up in. But she still felt, she said to me, you can't pay me off like a prostitute. I am, I will be living here. And she refused to leave. But the, the fear of going and having like even now my hands are getting sweaty the Mm. fear of going and having that conversation and saying to her mom I'm going to need you to leave it's destroying my marriage it's hurting my children and it destroyed me a while ago and I'm going to need you to leave and that I was more frightened of her reaction and the way that that would come across to her and the way that that would be perceived by other people as me treating her badly than I was aware, if you like, of the mm-hmm. damage that that had done to me. Mm-hmm. Helen, your face. <laughs> I suppose what if I'm setting... Ask, no, I'm not okay. <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> what but... I'm setting in is the compassion for that experience. And also in recognizing though the healing that here, what you're talking about two different realities. What I hear is one is the inner child experience. And then one of this of the rational adult. And that here in that moment that you are actually being the parent for you, for that mm-hmm. inner child saying, actually, you don't have to put up with this. Okay. There was decisions that led to this, but now you have agency. Now you have autonomy because the amount of people, and again, there's no shame or judgment from me, but that 
would just accept and say, no, well, now this is done. No, they just live there. No, I have no choice. Whereas what you did was actually protect yourself, protect your children, protect your marriage and protect your inner child from that abuse continuing when you recognized it then, because when you made that decision, you were making it, you're saying, you know, I thought that we were best friends. I thought we had this relationship. And when you recognize mm. the abuse and this is not done simply with a click of the fingers, you know, this is a long time processing. And when you recognize this, that you stood in and protected yourself and it is extremely difficult difficult and I don't want to minimize that but I honestly want to say that I am so proud of you and yeah. I wonder are you proud of yourself I'm working on it okay I get I, I get prouder as time goes on I think if I look at it from the perspective of am I proud of myself for protecting my children mm. yes okay well. so then you're not worthy of protection sorry right you want to <laughs> Yeah, that's where that's where we'd go with that one. And I've had mm. this conversation with my therapist numerous mm. times. It's that I I did it for my kids and I, I essentially did it because it destroyed my marriage. And I would never have done it for me. And I've sat mm-hmm. there and said that to Do my Do you think intimate. that's true, Harriet? Yeah. Do you oh, really I'd have never done it for me. If you had been living next door to your mother for all this time and she was encroaching on your space constantly and you'd been to a therapist being going, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm the one that's causing all these problems. I wish I could just be a good daughter. And slowly a therapist teases out the idea that maybe you're not the problem until you're ready to hear it, because that's a big thing as well. Yeah, that's huge. Do you not really think that eventually, even if it hadn't been on the time scale that you've done it on, that eventually you wouldn't have said to her, I don't want you living next door to me? I'm not sure. Mm. I'm honestly honestly not sure I like I there's a part of me that likes to think that I would have done but I think I maybe could have gone down some more dangerous paths than that one just to get away from it instead of actually stepping forwards and saying I you're the you it it was it was essentially saying you're the problem Mm. not me it's you it's you that's causing the problem I'm gonna need and and I've said numerous times on on the podcast that I and and on YouTube I I I never wanted to be estranged from my mum I wanted to give her everything set her up and have her have this wonderful life where I I wanted to make her happy yeah wanted to make her happy it was always Mm. about making her happy at the detriment of my happiness getting her approval getting her approval um and I I wanted to be able to do that for her, to be the good daughter, mm. but have a lower contact relationship so that I could protect me and my family so that we could, because it got to the point where we weren't, if we weren't back by say 5, 6 p.m., it would be phone call and anger of why are you not back? Mm. Why have you not called me to tell me where you are? Oh my goodness. And I'd be like, because I'm 33. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I'm in my 30s. And they're the adult when the adult when you're recognizing that I'm in my 30s. So what leg does the child have to stand on when they are 13, 16, 19, right? When you're programmed that actually you are wrong and that you have to phone. Whereas here, when you're in a relationship and you're like, here, I'm 33, I'm allowed to stay out past 6 p.m. You know, (laughs) and you're recognizing that this now it's clearer to see that actually you are the problem. And again, when you enter into a healthy relationship, it's clearer to see. Whereas unfortunately, a lot of the times the pattern we see that when somebody is brought up by a narcissistic parent, that because then when they are in this 
this trauma response when they are and this phone response when they are conditioned that they are to blame. They can repeat this pattern because they are right to be exploited then to be used and abused by somebody else because that will be familiar to them. And they are so used to meeting the demands of other people and they're so used to somebody you know narcissistic that this will they won't notice then the red flags they'll seem like green flags that this is normal and then that is so damaging because now for another 20 years this pattern is being repeated and the same gaslighting is happening so it's really damaging whereas what you're talking about there is being in a healthy relationship and your husband going you know basically like what the fuck like this is mm-hmm. not okay yeah. yeah and I think it took us you know it took us a good 10, 12 years to get to that point. And it, mm. it was a case of, and there have been things that I have accepted for those 10, 12 years mm. that I know were repetitions of the cycle that I'd been in. And now once you start setting boundaries and you start saying that's not happening for me, it's yeah. amazing how much things change yeah. and how yeah. different your life is. And I think you, once you start doing it and you start showing up for yourself, then it's it's like you can't stop doing it. And I do yeah. feel kind of very protective over that inner child that I know suffered. Still find it really hard to talk about it as abuse. Like if somebody says to me, okay, the abuse you suffered, you said that earlier, the abuse you suffered. Mm. I was like, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wasn't abused. That's what is, so I, can I, can I, can I inquire about that? Go for bit? it. <laughs> I'm scared. I don't want to overstep, Harriet, and I don't want to go into therapy mode. But also, the, my therapist brain is like, is there something about me feeling like you're betraying her? Oh yeah. In that, that oh, you're, because yeah. this is what happens, right, to the children of narcissistic parents. They're taught to protect the narcissistic parent mm-hmm. against everything. So where the parent is allowed to have every piece of information about you, you taking any of that information outside means instant betrayal because you're showing them up in a bad light you doing anything which challenges them in public shows them up in a bad light and when you're talking about saying she's an abuser what you're saying is you're contradicting her self-image and you are betraying her by exposing her as an abuser rather than protecting her image which you've been conditioned to do and that I wonder how old you feel when we say she's an abuser and you go, oh, how like old a little you girl. Feel? Right. Yeah. Mm. Right. Because I bet you it, that little girl that you feel that age that you feel you said, stop it, mommy, I don't like it. And you got mm. punished for that or abandoned yeah. or shamed. And something has happened at that age to create that like warning sign. Don't do that. Because that's what that feeling is. It's the mm. shy away from that. It's dangerous. We can't do that. We can't say she's bad. Cause if we say she's bad, she either does something to us or, we we suffer as a result like in a different way so yeah really just Mm. need to hear that because you are conditioned to protect your abuser Mm. and that is why emotional abuse is so bloody dangerous yeah and this is the thing that I wanted to get across because again it goes back to that saying oh well it wasn't real abuse it wasn't that Mm. bad it wasn't that terrible all these things that society tells us and then we tell ourselves because it's it's easier and like you say there is that feel of betrayal there Uh, when I first started this and talking about these experiences of estrangement online 
I was terrified and I felt so guilty. And then there would be people come to me and say, well, you just use it as an excuse to slag off your mum. Mm. Enough of that now. I follow you for your parenting hacks. And I'm like, but actually all of this rolls into parenting because yeah. I'm now having to learn how to parent without a yeah. blueprint. Yeah. My parents were shit, both of them. Oh, no, like... You do have a blueprint. It's just a really fucking awful one. You've got to burn that blueprint Ooh. and make your own up as you're going along and that is so hard because it's not just creating a new one it's avoiding the old one too and mm. that is those things on that blueprint are so insidious and micro that you might not even realize what you're doing as you're doing it being a repeat from them until sort of someday you go oh shit I shouldn't have done that for that done that I've done that with my eldest and I've I've sat down and had conversations with him about it because I know I parented him especially in the early years he's now nearly 12 I know I parented him in the early years how I thought I should parent him and Mm. there were so many things that were like flagging up for me going "Mm -mm, I don't like that so many things where I suppressed my instinct And my children, and I've said this to them, I've said this all the time, and I think it's true for anybody, whether you're in a healthy dynamic or not, all have a very different mother. Yeah. And because they've had me at different stages. But yeah, I I feel like I must have done something right because he will now turn around to me and he will say to me, he said to me the other day, all right, when you're shouting at me. And I said, I don't, I don't really shout because that to me was really triggering. Mm. I was, and I wanted to say to him, you have no idea what shouting is. I don't shout at you. How dare Mm. you? And I thought, no, sit with it. (laughs) Sit with it. (laughs) How are you going to, and I said, I don't think I shout at you. He went, yeah, you do. I said, Mm. I I don't feel that I shout at you, but I'm really sorry if I make you feel that way. It's not my intention to shout at you. I know sometimes I get a bit heated with you, but I think usually we can sit and talk about that. And he went, yeah, I just tell you to stop. And I thought, yeah, you do. That's yeah. huge. And that's that massive. You, well, firstly, it's huge that you're recognizing that conditioning, right? And then recognizing this impulse to defend. So when you're criticized, our impulse is defend, right? But what we're going to yeah. do is that's like, no, that's not true. That didn't happen. And actually, then here, we're going to load it on and say, you don't know what shouting is. And then let's look at this in terms of a scale of abuse, right? And so what you're talking about there is a full rage that your mother would unload on you. Right? Oh, yeah unleash on you and then here when we're talking about shouting which is a raised voice well I'm not screaming at you so it's not that bad yet Mm -hmm. you could have it worse so we're hearing this gaslighting language Mm -hmm. where it's actually recognizing going is there times and me as a parent so I'm going to own up to it too is there times that I shout is there times that my voice is raised yeah get off him don't do that yeah Yeah, of course get out of bed is my (laughs) absolutely do I shout yeah okay I, I have to own that I have to acknowledge that yeah I do and what he's saying and what my kids will say is it, I really don't like it when you do that mm-hmm. and actually to sit in that space because there's such vulnerability to be able to admit and say yeah I'm not perfect no that's not mm-hmm. nice because now if I really fully acknowledge that I did that and that the impact is not nice on you now I'm gonna have to take accountability and and try to change and then change my behavior because that's what a real apology is. It's recognizing and taking accountability. It's recognizing the impact. Even if you didn't mean the impact to occur, recognizing that it did, offering atonement. I'm sorry for that. How can I make that up to you? And a lot of the times the atonement is, okay, I won't do that again. So the key to it is change behavior. Because if I just keep apologizing for shouting, 
but then continue to shout. It's just manipulation. In the moment, I'm just asking for you to be kind to me and to feel sorry for me. Whereas it's my changed behavior that actually is indicative of acknowledging and taking that accountability. Yeah, apology without changed behavior is appeasement um, Mm -hmm. to keep you silent until the next time. The other side of that, of course, is the child of the narcissistic parent has been taught that to be acceptable, not just not anything more than acceptable, they have to be perfect. So then when our child comes and says, you're not perfect, that intensely triggers somebody yeah because they're saying you're not getting this right and it's like oh my god yeah oh my god and and the fear of that first of all so you're triggered first of all because you're in danger of being all the you know shouted at the um abandonment the punishment the humiliation and the shame but then on top of that you're trying so hard to not give your child the childhood you had that you are devastated that you might make a singular mistake because you're trying to create perfection and we've got to let that go. You're not going to be a perfect parent. You are going to shout. You are going to lose your rag. You are going to make mistakes. You are going to give them wounds. But hopefully those wounds are going to be so tiny that they're not going to affect them dramatically. And they'll be able to walk through the world knowing, oh, yeah, I've got that little thing. And it's it's just one of those things. They're not going to sit in therapy once, twice a week saying my mother did these terrible terrible things to me you know it's just accepting that you're going to make mistakes and a big mistake that people make when they've been raised by a narcissistic parent is to think that by giving them the opposite childhood that they are doing Mm. thing and it's not true when we are doing the opposite to what our parent did our narcissistic parent did we're weirdly kind of doing the same thing because in that we're projecting onto them the children a set of feelings that we would have felt in response to certain situations and we're trying to protect them from that and we're denying their autonomy so what we have to do is bring it down to the middle and say to them well here are the healthy boundaries you're allowed to do xyz and you're allowed to have autonomy you're not allowed to be rude you're not allowed to be abusive you can choose which shoes you want to wear but they have to go on so you can choose between red and blue but you have to put your shoes on Mm. there's not a well, he doesn't want to wear his shoes and let him run around mm. free barefoot because that's not healthy. It's dangerous. He'll cut, cut his feet or whatever. So what we really want to do is not do direct opposite, but bring it down into the middle and make sure that we are giving healthy, appropriate boundaries with autonomy. And when they say, I don't like that boundary, you say, I hear that. I understand that. But you still have to respect it. This so we talk what I about say it. to them yeah. quite a lot is I get it. And I said to him this morning because he didn't want to get it. We were at, um, have you heard of Young Voices? It's like a massive children's concert choir. Oh, yes, was, yes, yes, yeah. yes. There was like 5,000 kids there and my two youngest were involved in it. So we, we were there last night and it, I'd said to him, you, you have to come along because we're going to be out more or less all night and I can't leave yeah. you there you are 11 you know if it's for maybe half an hour or stuff I will let you stay yeah. at home because you're getting that independence I was left uh, throughout most of some holidays and in fairness to my mum she was a single parent I hated the kids clubs and things but that meant I would have to stay at home or sometimes there's no fairness in that mm. yeah okay well yes well you were a child and you, <laughs> yeah. you, if, yeah. if you didn't like the kids club there's other, Tough. That There's other options there would yeah. have been but that would have been a bit too much effort I think and well, quite often I, mm. I would come along and, and how much money did she save room. oh a lot <laughs> yeah me. how much money did she save from not yeah paying the kids clubs? a lot and I would either spend the summer holidays from sort of seven till six at home 
or seven to six yeah because she was a nurse so she'd be in early or and I would be told walk around and you can have lunch with me in the canteen or when I was really small I'd go and sit in her staff room wow yeah let's let's take the word fairness out of the word I think Harriet if you don't mind but I I will (laughs) (laughs) sorry I I think I look at that and I don't want that for my children but equally I want them to feel a little bit of independence yes really he's very much he likes his own company likes to be solitary at times he you know he'll come running downstairs to tell me about a transformer that he loves but then he'll go back to his room because he likes the quiet he likes to be his his own space and he will quite often say to me can I not just stay at home because I'm not interested in going to this and he did that last night and I'd said no you've got to come along with us but that meant this morning he was absolutely exhausted and I'd gone in and I'd woken him up and it was very similar to how you'd said where you end up shouting to me just get up get out of bed said to him I'd I'd gone back in for like the third time we were now about half an hour late than we should be and I said to him Ruben get up and he sat up and he just he just went right I am (laughs) up and I said to him okay yeah I believe me I get it I understand how tired you are. I understand Mm. that that wasn't your fault last night, but you came along for your siblings and we're all really grateful that you did that. I know you didn't get your McDonald's because we were running late, but I I get it. And, you know, I understand why you're exhausted. And he he went, oh, you don't understand it at all. It's not my fault that I'm stiff (laughs) because I was sat in a chair for three hours. And I was like, I've got 20 years on you, my guy. I, I, I am stiff. You don't know stiff. And I just said to him, no, I do understand it because we were all sat in the same chairs and I I get it. I'm not having a go at you, but you do need to get up now. There isn't any way we can get around that. So he he will bite back at me now. Now he's that bit older. And so so all all of them, to be fair. And I allow it because I didn't get that. I allow it. But occasionally, like he's now he's sort of 11, nearly 12, and he's quite hormonal. He will shout mm-hmm. sometimes back at me, especially if he feels like I'm being very unjust to him. And he's in, he's more like 14, 15 with his hormones, according to his teachers. <laughs> and he will kind of bite back at me. And mm. I will just say, okay, I'm not speaking to you like that. Mm. I understand you're frustrated. Please don't speak to me like that. Can mm. we just dial it down a bit? And I didn't get that. Mm. It, and that's hugely healthy. So, yeah, when Helen was talking about the pendulum there, when a child has been made responsible for the parents' feelings, when they hate being left in disappointment because that means emotional abandonment, when they are always left alone with their emotions, what they can do then is swing the other way over here now and say, well, I never want my child to have to be a bad emotion and I'm actually going to support them in everything. So now when the child is disappointed that they're not invited to the party, well, we'll just have a party for you or you didn't get the, you're disappointed you didn't get the ice cream. Well, I'll just buy that for you and I'm sorry and I'll over explain everything for you whereas actually it's healthy for a child to be disappointed because that is part of life and what we're doing them to teach them this autonomy and independence is actually to manage small disappointments so you get to like there my son you get to be disappointed that you have to go to school and I can hold you in that if that's safe if I give in to all those all the time well then they never get to manage their disappointment and then as they get older we'll have bigger tantrums and then be this tantruming child and very entitled because if I am scared of their anger if I am scared of saying no to them because how we are in one relationship is how we are in all relationships so if I'm struggling to say no to people in my life there's a really good chance I will struggle to say no to my kids and if our kids don't hear us say no don't hear us say get up 
they grow up. This is what Helen's talking about, the pendulum, and they become really entitled. So it's mm -hmm. what we're talking about is recognizing that this blueprint was flawed, because if we don't, we might act off that or actually then the pendulum swing the other way. And we have to weigh these up and recognize actually where is the healthy middle? And it will swing like this. There will be a healthy middle. It's not mm -hmm. that there is one right way. It's what is your values and what do you want? But your child is allowed their own emotions. And it's really important to not rescue and to not again sit in that blame and feel responsible. We're responsible for our behavior, but our children are allowed their own emotions and their own experience. Basically, don't people please your kids. Yeah. Let them say no to you. Let them reject you. Let them be pissed off with you. It's Let okay if your kids don't like them. you. Your job yeah, is not to be liked. You're not there to be liked. You are not there to be their friend. You are there to be their guide and their boundary teacher. Mm. And you are there to be their parent. You are not there to tell and protect, you know, wrap them up in cotton wool and protect them against every single bad emotion. Bad emotions are part of life. And the quicker they learn how to regulate them and to deal with them the better they will do in adulthood when they are faced with difficult things and they have to self-soothe you've got to teach children how to feel their emotions and allow them expose them to disappointment expose them to challenge expose them to being a flawed natural human being and stop rescuing them from that experience because it is a helpful one to have you know it's a and how we regulate them is one regulating ourselves that is yeah. the most important when they are in a big emotion that we're not triggered or if we're triggered recognizing that so that we can enter the parasympathetic the relaxed state as opposed to being in our sympathetic in our fight or flight so our biggest job is to regulate ourselves for anybody that has been brought up in a with childhood trauma that has been brought up with a narcissistic parent it's recognizing these triggers and recognizing when we are dysregulated and how to regulate ourselves that is that is number one Thank you so much <laughs> okay. for your time and for talking to me about all of these things. I cannot, honestly, it's been fantastic. Can you let people know where they can find you, please? Yeah, sure. Well, we're all over social media. So I'm Liberation Helen on most things or Liberation Therapy on Facebook. And then we've got a podcast called Insight Exposing Narcissism. And there's a Facebook page for that too. And Katie, I'll let you do your I yeah, and remember your handles. That's okay. I'm just Katie McKenna on all mine, Katie McKenna therapist. And when you're looking up the podcast Insight, that's two words. So there's a space in space site and you'll find us. Amazing. Thank you so much. I'd I'd love to do a recording with you another time talking about sure. perhaps parentification or something along those lines. Because I think absolutely it's such a vast topic, but yeah, this is going to be is. so helpful for so many people. Definitely. So, Sounds great to me. Thank yeah, you too. so much. Thanks for having us. To those of you that are listening, thank you so much for spending your time with us. And I will speak to you again next week. I've been Harriet Shearsmith and together we are Unfollowing Mum. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.